Christ Jesus our Lord. The Lord is in his temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Come, let us bow down to the, to the Lord our Maker. Let us pray. Almighty God, you are majestic in your holiness, in your power and might. All the host of heaven bow before you and sing your praise, and we pray that we might come and be present in your heavenly glory by your Spirit who raises us up to Christ. We pray your Spirit would be present with us now, that we might stand before you with true reverence and a heavenly mind, and in faith adore your glory. Lift, our, lift up our thoughts and desires to yourself, sanctify our worship, bless our service, and may the praise of our lips be pleasing to you. Hearken to our prayers as we bring them before you and sing our praises to your holy name. For all this we do through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our first hymn is number two, O Worship the King.
O Lord, be gracious to us, heal us, for we have sinned against you. Let us confess our sin together with the prayer printed in the bulletin. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer us, for we are poor and needy. Preserve us, O God, and deliver us, for we trust in you. Be gracious to us, O Lord, for to you we cry all the day. You, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to our prayer. Listen to our plea for grace. For you are great, and you have done wondrous things in our Lord Jesus Christ, overthrowing the powers of sin, death, and the devil through the death and resurrection of your Son. Have mercy upon us, most merciful Father, and be gracious to us, forgiving all our sins for Christ's sake. Teach us your way, O Lord, that we may walk in your truth. Unite our hearts by the grace of your Holy Spirit to fear your name, for we do pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Please stand for the assurance of pardon. The Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn away his face from you who have faith in Jesus Christ. I declare to you that all those who have faith in Jesus and repent of their sin are truly forgiven of all their sin. And this is the good news of the gospel. We say together, praise be to God. When God brought the people of Israel out of Egypt, redeeming them from slavery and establishing them as his own people, he called them in response to obey him. It's always good for us to remember that the Ten Commandments start with the prologue, which is about what God did. He's the one who delivered them from their bondage in Egypt. He gave them the Ten Commandments, sort of, you might say, at the heart of his covenant with his people. And the second commandment is this, you shall not make for yourself a graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. In view in this commandment is the sin of idolatry. The Ten Commandments have been sort of uh, underst- have been understood as, as setting out the moral order that God has for his creatures and for his people. And so his creation, his creatures, human beings, are not to be worshiping anything else as God except the, the God who created them. We are made in God's image, and so we are to reflect that image and, and uh, recognize that he is our Lord and creator. While we're generally not tempted to carve images out of wood and stone in order to worship them, as may have been done in ancient times, we can be tempted to conceive of God in ways that are not consonant with his revelation of himself, the way that God has revealed, to himself, uh, revealed himself to us. So we might come up with ideas about God, or um, we might come up with uh, representations of God that have come from out of ourselves rather than based on his revelation by his word. God has revealed himself to the people of Israel, but in these last days he revealed himself to us in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the one whom God has now revealed fully and decisively. Uh, God has revealed himself decisively in Jesus Christ. We must therefore worship God through the mediation of Jesus Christ, through the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
We must worship God according to how he has been revealed in Christ. We dare to approach God only in Jesus' name. And what is more, we must strive to bring all of our thinking and our talk and our ways of our loves, all those things that we, that, uh, that, we, um, that we have, we are to bring those in line with God and his revelation to us. What is more, we must strive to bring um, all of these things into relationship with God, into, according to his word, so that we might be faithful witnesses to him in this world, that he's the true God, not these other things that we come up with. Let us reject every attempt to conceive of God in our own terms or with minds not submitted to God's revelation as we find it in Scripture. Positively, this command tells us to confirm, uh, conform I'm sorry, our minds no less than our hearts and wills to God's revelation because uh, that is how we are to be oriented and to be set in how we understand and think of God. It's very easy for us to be, uh, we live in a culture that's very subjective, that focuses everything on your inward self and on what you think is right and true and what, what you hear in your own mind and all of that. What the scripture is teaching us and what this command teaches us is to understand God and um, who the true God is based on the objective reality of his word that has been given to us. So we are to have a faith set on the objective reality, not the subjective experiences that we have that's given to us through um, Jesus Christ and in God's word. This is God's will for us in Jesus Christ, and let us say, Amen. Our hymns, number 569, Jesus, Lord of life and glory.
bring our prayers together in our worship to pray for those in need, always knowing that our Lord has set forth for us uh, the prayer, the intercession that we have um, as, as part of his intercession for the world. So we join in him as we pray for the needs in the church and in this world. Let us pray. Almighty God, our eternal Father, who is our beginning and our end, We thank you that you've created us and that you have created your church in this world, that you've gathered together your people and continue to do so, that you have betrothed us to Christ who adorns us in holiness forever. We praise you for being a part of your people. We pray for the church to rejoice and delight in Christ. May it be faithful to him and be pure and spotless in this world, always growing and maturing in Christ. We do pray for the Presbyterian and Reformed churches in this metropolitan area and in our nation. We pray for the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church, the Presbyterian Church in America, the RPCNA, the RCUS, the URC, the CRC, the PCUSA, and the EPC. All these acronyms, all these different denominations. We pray that they would believe and teach the word of Christ. We pray you would be working us towards unity with one another, centered on our one faith, delivered down to us by the apostles, our one baptism, and our one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May the Reformed and Presbyterian churches confess their sin and live the new life of Christ. Here are prayers for church unity and the church being faithful to its work in this world. Blessed Lord, who was and is and is to come, who has promised that heaven and earth will be made new by the redemptive work of Christ, we pray for our life in this society where we live. Grant that we may live simpler lives, we would avoid what is ostentatious, that we would delight in the good order you have given to your creation, that we would spurn what is violent and frivolous and morally disordered. Let us be willing to share with others the plenty that you have given us. Hear our prayers for how we live in our society. Lord of heaven and earth, to whom every authority is subject, we pray for the rulers of this earth, particularly the leaders of China, the uh, Prime Minister President Xi, for Russia, Vladimir Putin, for the United States, Joe Biden. We pray for a de-escalation of military bravado. We pray for the uh, respect for the sovereignty and boundaries of the states, of the nations. 
We also pray that the oppression of people where thousands, hundreds of thousands are imprisoned for doing nothing wrong and where many are killed, we pray that that would be stopped. We pray for the removal of leaders who act wickedly, and we pray for good government in these countries. Give peace, even if it is a provisional peace where there is no peace, and we pray you would bring justice where there is no justice. Hear our prayers for the nations of this world. Merciful Lord, you count the tossing of our, uh, our tossing as we fret about the many issues in this world. You see our tears. We thank you that you shall wipe away our tears and that death will be no more and there will be no more mourning or crying nor pain, as the scripture says, but that all these things will have passed away in the creation that is made new through Jesus Christ. We pray for those who mourn, for those who are alone, for those who feel hopeless. Hear our prayers for those who come to mind. Our great Redeemer, we pray for those among your people who are in dispute, who are angry and upset, that you would bring humility, reconciliation, repentance, charity, confession of sin, and forgiveness all through your grace in Jesus Christ. Hear our prayers for ourselves or for others as, as uh, we might be struggling with these things. Our Father, for this congregation of your beloved children, we bring our petitions. We thank you that each one of us has been given a way to serve you in this world, vocations, callings of all different degrees that, um, that we use to work out our service and faithfulness to Christ. We pray you would prosper our work as we do serve you, aid our missionaries and evangelists in their work, we do remember the hops and the um, violence and uprising that's going on in Haiti right now. We know Ben Hop is present there. We pray you would help him to be safe and be able to have contact with the churches there. We also pray for the Westervelds who work uh, with the church in Quebec. Bless them to preach and teach the gospel of Jesus Christ with power and clarity from the Holy Spirit. We also pray for our mission work in Indiana and Ryan Cavanaugh, its pastor. May the church always be willing to preach the word of Christ and serve others. Hear our prayers for these in, in the work of the church, the missionary work, and for others who come to mind. And for the congregation of Providence OPC, which worships you and serves you and calls upon you, look with your gracious favor upon those who are sick, in distress, who are grieving, or have other needs. Here are our prayers for the Roberts family, for Frida, for Eduardo and Shirley, for Jeff and Linda, for Bob and Fawn, for our friends Becky and Mrs. Mesner, Angie, Phil, Tom, Judy, Karen, and others we name to you in silence. Give wisdom and discretion to those who assist them. <clears throat> Bless all the means used for their recovery or give them peace in their weakness. 
stretch forth your hand, and according to your will, we pray you would help them to trust you in their situation, and if it be your will, restore them to health and strength. Bless them, O God, and may they live to praise you for your goodness and your grace. For those also who are weary of the Christian struggle, give them legs of faith to run the race, arms of love to care for others, eyes of hope to confidently wait for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. To you, our Father, do we entrust our prayers by the power of the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let us present our gifts and offerings to the Lord. And now we will, we will pray to prepare ourselves for hearing God's word read and preached. Let us pray. Father in heaven, your word is living and active because it proceeds from you, our living and active God. We pray that it would penetrate our hearts and minds, 
and renew our hope and deepen our love, um, our gratitude to you, that we would again be centered on the truth that you alone are our highest good. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Our reading begins in Exodus. Chapter 12, first 13 verses. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be assigned for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Our Psalter response is in the bulletin, Psalm 41. Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord sustains him on his sick bed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. As to me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. My enemies say of me in malice, When will he die and his name perish? And when one comes to see me, All who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. They say that every thing is poured out of him. He will not rise again from where he lies. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. But you, O Lord, are gracious. 
that I may repay him. By this I know that you delight in me. My enemy will not shout in triumph over me. But you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. Our epistle reading is in 1 Peter. Chapter 3. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. And finally, our gospel reading in Mark. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, the disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room? where I may eat the Passover with, my, Passover with my disciples. And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There prepare for us. There, there prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve, And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and say to him, say to one another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. The word of the Lord. We've been listening to the preaching of God's word through the Gospel of Mark, and we've come to chapter 14, which is a subsection in the Gospel of Mark. The driving theme in the Gospel of Mark is that Jesus Christ is the Lord who goes to his death and is raised for us. The first half of the Gospel is about Jesus as the Lord, roughly the first eight chapters. He calls, Jesus calls his disciples right away in the beginning of the Gospel of Mark. You remember uh, Mark uses that word immediately. So Jesus calls his disciples immediately. They left their nets and followed him. He's the Lord, and the people that he calls Respond to him immediately. Jesus heals the sick. He casts out demons. He teaches with the authority of God. He raises the little girl from the dead and much more. Jesus is the Lord, in other words, over people, sickness, demons, death, and so on. 
In the ancient world, it was common to have people with the title Lord. That was a very common thing. We don't allow that, I guess you would say, in the United States. When we broke away from England, we said, we're not going to have any officials, any political leaders who use these titles. And so we were very sensitive to that, and we sort of eliminated that whole, um, that whole uh, business about using titles like Lord or Duke or whatever. But in the ancient world, that was common, to have that title Lord. However, Jesus shows that he's much more than the Lord in the traditional worldly sense. He's not the Lord over one nation. He's not the Lord over a particular army or in a certain region or over, over, over a limited estate. He's not that kind of Lord. He's not an ordinary kind of Lord like we would hear in this world with other people. He's not like Caesar in Rome or King Herod. The second half of the gospel is about Jesus the Lord who's on his way to the cross to suffer and die. And like I said, towards the end of chapter 8, that begins to become clear. That's the part of the gospel message that really threw the ancient world into a tailspin. How can someone who is the Lord of heaven and earth suffer and die? Even his disciples, while they followed Jesus to Jerusalem, could not understand this. Remember Peter, who rebuked Jesus because Jesus said that he must suffer many things and be put to death, but on the third day he would rise? Peter rebuked Jesus for saying that. How can you say that? You're the royal one. You're the son, the royal son. You're the Lord. How can you say that you're going to go and die? And in fact, Jesus would go on and three times make the same declaration of his death. He, the Lord, would suffer and die. This did not sound like the Lord of heaven and earth, at least not to the ears of, of the people who heard it. It doesn't sound like the Lord of heaven and earth, someone, a Lord who goes to a cross and suffers and dies. But this gets right at the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus, is, Jesus Christ is the Lord who died for us. And people today have trouble with this just as much as people in the first century, although perhaps for other reasons. Why do we need a Lord who suffers and dies for us. Our lesson this morning is part of the passion story of Jesus Christ in the Gospel of Mark. All of the texts in this section, in chapter 14 going into 15, have to do with Jesus' suffering and death. One way or another, they tie into his passion. This includes our reading this morning. Jesus eating the Passover meal with his disciples is related to his suffering and death. Now today, we try to control our deaths. In our society, we try to control the where, the how, and the when of our death. We try to choose the place of our death. Once I visited a man who was a member of a former church I served, not this church, but a different church, and I went to visit him in a palliative care unit of a hospital nearby. When I arrived, his family was all gathered around him. He was hooked up to machines that were monitoring him. His breathing was labored, his body was tense, his eyes were closed. Everything about him was caught up in the moment. I prayed with the family and for this man, and then I left the room. And I found out that after I left, he died 30 minutes later. The man wanted to die in the hospital. And so he was transferred to this unit from the ICU unit, uh, well, the step-down unit. He was transferred to the palliative care unit because he wanted to die in the presence of the nurses and doctors and the care the hospital could give him. Other people prefer to die at home. 
They resist being sent to a care facility. They choose to die in the familiar environment of their memories and the life they built and maybe with family members. I've heard of, even heard of Native Americans who went out to die on a mountain. It was sort of the preferred way for the Ute Indians or some of the other uh, Native Americans that I knew out west uh, or I heard about out west that they, they would often, as they got older, just go off to a certain sacred place and die in that spot. Now, it doesn't always happen as planned. People die suddenly in accidents or from a massive heart attack or an embolism like my father did. But we try to control where we will die. We also try to control how and when we die. It actually becomes a topic of conversation, a rather morbid conversation, I might say. But the questions raised, maybe casually, what is your preferred way to die? If you were to die, how would you want to die? And someone says, well, I'd like to slip away in my sleep. Another says, I'd like to go quickly. A rock climber, I saw a documentary on a rock climber, says, uh, said, he actually did die, said he would like to die doing what he loves, which was freestyle climbing on a cliff. He died in an avalanche. And this is all, I think, a very mor- morbid thing, but the sort of thing we do when we just ponder our deaths. But it's not just individuals who think about how they want to die. Our society has what it considers its reasonable ways for how we might die. If you are elderly and you enter a hospital, the staff wants to know if you have been put on the do not resuscitate list. Our society has had an ongoing debate about the chronically ill taking their own life. Even Christians get caught up in this. Henry Van Dusen was the president of Union Seminary in the middle of the 20th century. He and his wife were both members of the Euthanasia Society that advocated an individual's right to terminate his or her own life. After he had a stroke, the two of them entered into a pact to end their their lives rather than face the prospect of debilitating old age. And in 1975, Dr. Van Dusen, the former president of Union Theological Seminary in New York City, and his wife took sleeping pills and died. Today, assisted suicide is legal in 10 states and Washington, D.C. What's ironic about our control of death is that it is really giving in to death. It's like the baseball team that concedes the game to its opponent because the score is 20 to 0. Death is inevitable. We must give in. And for all the bravado that's epitomized by William Henley's poem Invictus, I am the master of my fate, I am the captain of my soul, you've probably heard those lines, death will come to each one of us. Death masters us. By trying to control the circumstances of our death, we feel like we have some power. But the power here is death, and our attempts to control it are like putting lipstick on a savage monster. Jesus, in our gospel lesson, controls the events of his death. In Mark, Jesus' death is identified with the Passover meal. Now, there's been significant debate based on the chronology given and chronology in in, uh, some of the other Gospels about what kind of meal Jesus celebrated with his disciples. There's been a debate about that. The Gospel of John's chronology puts Jesus' last meal with his disciples on a different day, on the day the lambs were slaughtered for the Passover meal. However, both Mark and John 
give us a theological way to understand Jesus' death. They're not just reporting facts, which is, I think, unfortunately, the way we often read the Gospels is it's just a series of facts uh, about Jesus' life and his ministry. But it's not that. It's also with interpretation. It's also with a theological understanding. And Mark and John both give that to us. In the Gospel of Mark, the meal and Jesus' death are about the Passover feast. The Passover meal was one of the important Jewish festivals. The time of Jesus, by the time of Jesus, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is also was also a feast, had been mostly absorbed into the celebration of the Passover meal. They were right around the same time in the same week, uh, very close to each other in, in terms of the days uh, they were to be observed. And so the Passover meal became more dominant, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread sort of was was taken into the Passover meal, although there was still recognition of that feast um, in the celebration of the Passover. The Feast of Unleavened Bread was on the 15th of the month of Nisan, which was the day when the Passover was eaten. One day before the Passover, before that, one day before the Passover lambs were slaughtered. On the 14th of Nisan, in the month of Nisan, the Passover lambs are slaughtered, and then on the 15th, of Nisan, they were eaten in the Passover meal. Now, in our lesson, Jesus is in control of the Passover meal. The preparation for the meal centers on Jesus in our text. The disciples ask where they will have the meal. After all, they're in Jerusalem, and it is the week of the Passover. So they ask where they're going to have the meal, and Jesus directs the whole thing. Jesus, in verse 13, Jesus sends two of his disciples into the city of Jerusalem. And he tells them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Well, this was unusual, which you might think, well, there are a lot of people carrying jars. But that was unusual. Most of the water carriers used leather bottles. Leather had been sewn into um, bottles or or into uh, containers that would carry the water. Not jars. That was more unusual. So to see a man carrying a jar of water would be distinct. Jesus instructs his disciples to follow this man. Jesus is in control of his disciples finding their way to the location of the Passover meal. You see? Jesus also controls where they will eat the Passover meal. Verse 14, And wherever this man with the water enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, Where is my guest room? where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready there, uh, and, and ready there prepared for us. Jesus ensures that the Passover meal will be eaten in Jerusalem. The Passover meal was required to be eaten in Jerusalem. So that's why the Jews would gather in Jerusalem for the feast. Um, this, the lambs were to be slaughtered in the temple precincts and then the meal to be eaten in Jerusalem. By the time of Jesus, that was the location for it. Also, Jesus makes sure the room will be big enough for them to recline. Because normally, the Jews sat at table when they're going to eat. However, in the Passover meal, the Jews reclined. And Jesus made sure that he and his disciples had enough room for that. If you think about reclining, laying on your side, your legs out, uh, you, you can't have somebody right there. Um, if your leg's sitting on their lap, that would be kind of awkward. So it was spread out in a way and, and uh, angled in a way that uh, everyone, while well, you're talking about 
13 people gathered around the table. So Jesus made sure there was enough room for that to happen. Now, just a little side note. There's nothing secretive about any of this. You see, if, if somebody was monitoring Jesus, and presumably the priests and scribes were probably keeping a bit of an eye on Jesus and his disciples, there's nothing secretive about what Jesus is doing. Jesus sent his disciples out in public in the city. They went out. He didn't say, okay, make sure you hide behind the doors and look out and see if anyone's watching you. He didn't tell them to do any of that. He just said, go find this man, follow him, and, and go to this, this house, this uh, room that's prepared. They followed the man with the water and told him Jesus was coming to the room. There's, there's nothing secret about that. It was easy for the Jewish leaders to know where Jesus was going. He's not trying to hide from them. Everything needed for the Passover meal was controlled by Jesus. Besides the room, the Passover meal involved many different dishes. And there were, it was sort of regulated. There were certain dishes required. Of course, there was the Passover lamb. In addition to the lamb was an egg. An egg was uh, usually served with the meal. Water was what Jews typically drank with their meals, but not at the Passover. At the Passover, wine was was uh, used and instead of the water. And uh, it's interesting, in some of the Gospels we learned that there, there were uh, different cups of different glasses of wine that were taken. There were certain points in the Passover meal when you would take a drink of the wine. And so there were different glasses um, or different drinks of wine that were taken during the Passover meal. So wine replaced the water for drink that had to be prepared. Also served was a dish of bitter herbs like lettuce, parsley, endives, horseradish was to be used with these uh, herbs, and that was served as a dish as well. Uh, it all had uh, represented different things about the Passover that Jesus or that God um, uh, carried out with Israel in the Old Testament. The meal also included unleavened bread. All of this needed to be prepared for the feast. And Jesus made sure it was ready. You know, it's so easy for us to get caught up with the little odd things here, the details, and I've mentioned a few of them, but we can get caught up in a number of things like which day was the meal, how do we compare Mark with the Gospel of John, um, you know, what kinds of uh, uh, dishes were used, how many glasses of wine were used, all these kinds of things. It's missing the point. Those might be worthwhile scholarly questions, but what's the point, what is the main theme of our text? Jesus is in control of it all. Jesus is preparing it all. And Jesus even controlled his betrayal by Judas. Jesus declared his betrayal before it happened. Verse 18, he says, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Jesus, by going to his death, was acting according to God's plan. And Jesus makes this clear when he says he's fulfilling Scripture. Verse 21 says, For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. And that man, of course, who betrayed Jesus was Judas. This, uh, in case you're wondering, as it's written of him, referring to Scripture, a verse or a text that, that fits well with that is what we said in our Psalter response. Psalm 41, verse 9 says, Even my close friend in whom I trusted who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. 
Perhaps that's what Jesus was thinking of when he said that, um, as it was written of him in Scripture. Now, as I said last week, Judas is responsible for his actions. Judas acted to betray Jesus. Judas did it. It always uh, catches me when people try to blame someone else for what another person did. And we can do that with God. Why does God let somebody, you know, let people murder each other and all that? Well, God didn't murder that person. Somebody else did. If you're going to blame someone, blame the one who did it. Blame the one who shot the person or did whatever they did. Judas is the one who betrayed Jesus. He's complicit in murder. So blame Judas for that. God will hold him accountable for it. That's why Jesus says, Woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed, in verse 21. That woe there is an exclamation because of judgment. Judas does not get a pass. Yet, even though Judas is held accountable, God is able to work out his plan with Judas's treachery. Jesus says as much when he quotes scripture. It's not just that the Old Testament points forward to Jesus Christ, that Psalm 41 has a Christological theme in it. We Christians go back and read Psalm 41 and we, we see it connecting to Jesus, or that Jesus is perhaps referring to that psalm. It, it, that's true. That's definitely true. We Christians read the scriptures as being fulfilled in Jesus Christ, and that Jesus Christ resolves those kinds of um, things that point forward. But the reference to Scripture also tells us that what happened to Jesus, his passion and death, is right in line with the story of God's salvation. From beginning to end, Scripture tells the story of God working his purpose out to save us from sin and death. So God's work that started with creation and continued with Israel comes to fruition with Jesus Christ. And Jesus is saying that his betrayal and his passion are part of that story. They're part of that work of God working out his salvation to save us. So by referencing the scripture, it's not just this interesting connection or showing the unity of the Old and New Testament. It is that, but it's more than that. It's showing that what is happening to Jesus is part of that story. Now, you could pull out what happened to Jesus, and people do this all the time. You could take his suffering and his death, his crucifixion, and stick them into another story. The story of um, the oppressed, and the oppressors, a Marxist narrative, or, or some other narrative. People do that all the time. But that's not what Jesus does. He connects it into the story of God's salvation that's being set out for us with Scripture. Jesus is in control of his passion, and it's for God's purpose. What Jesus does not do, and we need to hear this, Jesus does not capitulate to death. By preparing for the Passover meal, by dismissing Judas to go to the priests and the scribes in order to betray him, Jesus was not giving up. He was not admitting that death was inevitable or that he was tired of living a life of conflict and abuse. Jesus was not giving up on his disciples or on this world or on you. Jesus was in control of his suffering and death for God's purpose. Our attempt to control our death is mostly for ourselves. 
Our attempt to control our death is mostly for ourselves. With that extreme example I gave you of Henry Van Dusen, he didn't want to live with the debilitation and misery of a stroke. And it's definitely debilitating and it's definitely miserable. I, I'm not taking anything away from that. So before we condemn Van Dusen, we might not want to live that kind of life either. It might occur to us that I don't want to live like that either. The desire to take our own life might cross our minds also. But in all of that, what we're wanting to do is control death for ourselves. We might also want to control death for others, for friends or other family members, to die comfortably or per their wishes. And this is definitely more noble, but it's still capitulating to death. Death doesn't care when, how, or where we die as long as we die. Our deaths are more than how and when and where. Scripture tells us that it's also about a world in rebellion against God and God's judgment. Life comes from being in communion with God. Death comes when we break away and try to live against God or without God. If we try to do that, if we do break away, which we did in our sin, then then death is the result because you cannot have life without God. So death is also about our relationship to God. One of the benefits of Jesus' passion and death taking place during the Passover week is it helps us understand what death is and God's purpose. So there's a wonderful benefit happening because Jesus, um, because Jesus is celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples, and it's all part of his passion. Passover is about Israel's exodus from Egypt. We heard the Old Testament lesson about that this morning. The pharaoh, the the king, you might say, or the pharaoh of Egypt represented the kingdom of Egypt. So in the ancient world, the the king sort of was was the representative, caught up the the, uh, head of the nation, and the pharaoh represented that. But it's the nation as a whole that is is being represented there. Egypt was a terrible tyrant over the people of Israel. Not just the pharaoh, but the whole nation. The people of Israel were slaves to Egypt, and they couldn't free themselves from this vicious ruler. So it was more than just being held captive against their will. Egypt was a state of death for Israel. Remember, the people were being worked to death. Their babies were being killed. The males were being killed. They were slaves to Egypt with a death sentence. Our Old Testament lesson is about the institution of the Passover. It's all about God delivering Israel from Egypt, from that tyrant of death. And the Lord told Israel in our text from the Old Testament, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments on them. I am the Lord. So the Lord instructed the people of Israel to slaughter lambs and wipe the blood of the lambs on the doorposts of their houses, around the the frame of the doorpost. The blood of the lamb then would cover the people in their households while the angel of the Lord struck down the firstborn of Egypt in judgment. So there's death in the Passover meal, and there's also deliverance. Even though, God, uh, even though Egypt was responsible for enslaving Israel and killing the people, God was working out his purpose to save Israel. And this is exactly what Jesus was doing during his passion. 
So the, the Passover meal, the, the institution of the Passover, what was going on with Israel back in the days when God, the Exodus, when God brought them out of Egypt, has a lot to help us understand what Jesus was doing. He was working out, uh, doing what he was doing, um, what the Lord was doing with Israel. In his passion, he's the Lord delivering us from the power of death. So the story of Israel and the Passover and the Exodus out of Egypt sort of points forward to Jesus Christ. He delivers us from the power of death, not just from a terrible nation that was a state of death for people who were slaves in, in you know, building uh, the, the bricks and all of that, but delivering us from an even greater power, the power of death. Jesus was controlling the events of his passion for us, not for himself. See, we control our, try to control our deaths for ourselves, or maybe for a loved one. Jesus was controlling the events of his passion for us, not for himself. He was not capitulating to death like we do. Jesus was not joining the euthanasia society or accepting death as fate or simply trying to make it more comfortable. Jesus willingly went to his death for us. And our epistle lesson makes this very clear in 1 Peter. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Jesus is the righteous one for the unrighteous, for us. Or as the Apostle Paul says, Jesus was put to death for our trespasses and raised for our justification. His preparation of the Passover meal and his betrayal were part of his suffering for us. Jesus was controlling the events of his passion for our sake. Because of Jesus, we do not have to embrace Death. And I tried to think of a good word to use there, and embrace is the best I could come up with. Because of Jesus, we do not have to embrace death. It's perfectly fine, and I want you to hear me on this, to be compassionate to someone who is dying, making them comfortable. That's, that's wonderful. That's, that's showing kindness and charity to them. Not prolonging their death just because we can. Isn't that one of the symptoms of our technology is, oh, we can do this, so we should? No, sometimes we need to let them go. They're going to go anyway. But not prolonging their death just because we can. Technology can keep our body processes going, but to no avail. We all must face death. And as we grow older, we're more keenly aware of our own deaths. We may be able to work out when and where we die, but we need not give into it. We need not say death is just the course of things and the way it goes. There is a way through death to life with God, and that way is Jesus Christ. Remember what he said. This is in the Gospel of John. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. We Christians have the wonderful good news of the Lord Jesus Christ suffering and dying for us in order to free us from death. And in many ways, our society has become a society of death. Euthanasia, that's on the rise, that's becoming more and more popular. An escalating murder rate in many of our cities. Abortion, all these things are part of a society of death. 
There is a fierce political campaign right now that pushes for abortion, and I've noticed that it likes to zoom in on the difficult cases. Let's take the extreme cases, the low-hanging fruit, if you might say, that might warrant abortion, like sexual assault or a mother's life in danger. What this campaign does not mention is that those cases are a very, very small percentage of the, of the number of abortions, like 4 to 6%. And that's coming from Planned Parenthood's Guttenmacher Institute, their statistics. I looked at those a couple years ago. The overwhelming number of abortions are, bec- are not because of rape or a mother's life's in danger. Close to 94% of abortions are because the baby is considered a problem for one reason or another. The Lord sends us out into the world with the light of the gospel that human life is good, that it's even sacred, in other words, set apart from other life, and God gives it to us through Jesus Christ. Let us pray. O God, by the passion of your blessed Son, you made an instrument of shameful death to be for us the means of life in Jesus Christ. Grant us so to glory in the cross of Christ that we may meet our death with faith in him and rejoice in the life that he gives to us, that we may be witnesses to that life in this world. To you be the glory, O Father, with the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. If you would please stand and let us confess our faith with the creed printed in the bulletin. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, through whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church, We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Our hymn as we come to the Lord's table is number 247, O Sacred Head Now Wounded.
Apostle says, You were ransomed, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish and spot. Hear now the words of the Apostle, who said, If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. The Lord Jesus Christ instituted this meal, so we do not um, just uh, create this and, and, and uh, have a meal that we've, that we've uh, decided to have on our own. But the Lord Jesus instituted it and set it apart. On the night when he was arrested, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That proclaiming is witness. We're witnesses of his death for our life. We receive Christ as he makes himself known in Scripture, sermon, and in the sacrament. Christ is really present with us. Having again heard the voice of Christ in Scripture and sermon, let us now come to his table and receive his gifts. All who have been baptized, who have publicly professed faith in Jesus Christ, and belong to a Christian church or communicant members of a Christian church, you are welcome to come and share in this joyful feast of our Lord. Join with me now in giving thanks to God for our new life and our salvation in Jesus Christ. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. We do give you thanks, O Heavenly King, our Father Almighty, for it is right and fitting for us so to do, and we delight and rejoice in what you have done. Our thanksgiving is full of love. You have created all things, and we serve and honor and praise your holy and beautiful name, and we seek to live according to how you have created your world. And we raise our praise to you with that host of heaven who say, Holy, 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 God of power and might, Heaven and earth are full of your glory, Hosanna in the highest. Especially now we give you thanks that you sent your Son into this world, that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and was born a man, and that in majestic obedience he rode into Jerusalem to die on the cross, that he was lifted up from earth to heaven as the king of our salvation. And from there he continues to reign now as the crucified and exalted Christ. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, you have led us out of sin and darkness and death and condemnation into the life of your new creation in him. So we confess with your church as we come to this meal, for we come in faith, that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. We thank you that even after Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, he did not abandon us, but he sent us your spirit, and so he's present with us now. We ask you to bless this cup and this bread with the Holy Spirit so that we are fed by Christ and nourished by him. As surely as we taste the bread and the cup of the Lord, even so may he nourish and refresh, our, uh, refresh us for eternal life with his crucified body and his shed blood. And not only uh, part of us, and not only us individually, but the whole church. And so, having communed with Christ and being strengthened by your grace, may we go out into the world to serve you in faith and love. Our thanksgiving we offer to you in the name of Jesus Christ 
And with one voice we say together, Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ took the bread and after giving thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he also took the cup, saying, This cup is the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me.
Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life, I am the bread of life. Take and eat this bread and drink this cup and remember Christ's body and blood given for you. Receive it with faith and thanksgiving. Take and eat and drink. Let us pray. Eternal God, you have graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, as members of his body, he, our head. And you have fed us with spiritual food and the sacrament of his body and blood. Send us now into the world in peace. Grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart through Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Our final hymn is number 455, And Can It Be That I Should Gain?
that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is pleasing in his sight. And the blessing of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be upon you all now and forever. Amen. Please be seated, and a very good morning to you all. Um, starting with something that maybe is out of place, but just as uh, a personal a personal thank you from from up here to Mr. Mesner. There's um, there's certain so yeah, we probably all have at least I'm, I don't I don't think I'm projecting you know certain favorite songs that have been recorded you know uh, millions and millions of times, and uh, so you know whether it's uh, you know, who, who you got for Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. But there are certain songs that, for me, the Mark Mesner version is the, the uh, authoritative version. And, uh, and Can It Be is one. Like, anybody who's sat 18 inches from the grand piano while Mark Mesner plays that uh, triumphant, no condemnation, now I dread, Jesus and all in him is mine. Uh, it's, it's worth it. Sit up front sometime. Um, anyway, thank you, Mark, for your, your years of playing. I really... It's, I can tell. I can tell. And uh, anyway, thank you. Um, greetings to uh, to our various uh, visitors and, and longtime friends that maybe we haven't seen in a while. It's great to see your uh, your faces here. Um, as far as upcoming uh, events, we do have a change in the calendar. From um, the uh, Friday prayer session is going to be moved due to uh, the passing of uh, Michael Roberts's father. Bill, yes, Bill, um, and so I believe arrangements are for visitation on Friday and uh, evening and uh, funeral on Saturday. If anyone knows times on that, I do not. I I'm not. Two o'clock Saturday. Okay, two o'clock Saturday. So um, I'm sure we'll have an email out in the next uh, day or two um, with official word on that. But for that reason, the uh, the Friday prayer meeting will be moved by a week. I think to um, a week from Friday. Um, it's going to be at the Hannam's house, so uh, please join us for that if you can. Um, Presbytery meeting was this week, so we'll look for yeah, just a jump back quick report. Friday evening prayer. Um, so th- there's a meal with that, and Barbara, do you want people to call and about what they can bring? Yeah, if everybody could bring something, and hopefully it's not all the same. Then, uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, so we have a meal. When we have the prayer together, so it's at their house, 6.30, right? Um, so the press tree meeting, we had a, a longer press tree meeting than normal. Um, press tree meets, stated meetings are three times a year. This meeting uh, stated in September, normally on, a, on the, uh, the Saturday, but we had a Friday evening uh, meeting as well because we've, we have a number of men being examined, theological exams um, for ordination, one for licensure, licensed to preach, which then would lead to ordination if that man gets a call. But two of the others already do have a call. One of them is a fellow named Harrison Perkins, and he's being called to Oakland Hills uh, OPC. 
Uh, I got to talk with him. Real, he seems like a real solid guy. Real, uh, was very interesting hearing his exam. Did a great job. He uh, got his got did some uh, doctoral work at Aberdeen in Scotland, and then uh, he's coming out of the PCA. Um, but he uh, was pastor of the Free Church of Scotland in London. So there's a Free Church of Scotland in London. I guess the Scots are holding their own there. <laughs> and it's uh, two streets over from St. Paul's Cathedral, if you've ever been over there. So um, I didn't know that, but they, they had a pretty good-sized church, and he was pastor there for a few years, and now he's back here, and he's going to be out um, at Oakland Hill. So his ordination, or his uh, call was approved, and he'll be starting there. Well, he's already been preaching, but he'll be officially installed next month. And... Um, It'd be good to you know, get to know them. I think there are a lot of changes going on at Oakland Hills, good changes. So that was one thing that, that happened there. Excellent. Uh, do you want to talk about Lawrence Tech while you're here? While yeah. You're up? Um, so Lawrence Tech, keep praying. I can't figure out what's happening. The, the admin there seems to be snowing me. Um, so I'm, we're trying to set up a uh, uh, time midday um, in the atrium over at the school for just offering prayer for anyone or conversation. I have signs made. I'm trying to, to, I can go in and just sit down and do that, but I'm trying to get the official approval, which I thought I had, but now they're not returning my calls. And um, I, I was over there Wednesday to meet with them, and they didn't show. So I'm not sure what all that means. Um, if that doesn't pan out, then I might um, try to make some inroads with the students and have a Bible study. The problem is meeting some of the students to to have the Bible study. So we'll see. Um, we keep praying. We, we try these things, and sometimes the Lord opens it up, and sometimes it doesn't open. But uh, we'll we'll see what happens. So, cool. Um, as far as anything else, uh, Christian Ed today, and um, please do continue to. Uh, keep our service to the community in mind with bringing food for the deacon's pantry and uh, cleaning supplies and home decor for the uh, Arab American Friendship Center. Uh, that's all I have or know, unless anybody wants to add anything from the floor. All right, so we will have a time of uh, fellowship, coffee, snacks, and then uh, move toward Christian Ed in, uh, in a few minutes. So 